This is Make Yourself at Home, a BizNow podcast where we look at how the pandemic is shaping real estate. I'm Miriam Hall. I'm BizNow's New York reporter. Today on the program, Jerry Salama, the principal of the Janus Property Company. His firm is developing the Manhattanville Factory District, a 1.1 million square foot mixed-use district in Harlem that runs from 125th Street up to 128th Street. It's jewel in the crown, as Jerry puts it, is the Tasty Building, a 350,000 square foot property built for life science, commercial, manufacturing and educational tenants. They're leasing up the building now, and I asked Jerry about his faith that those kinds of tenants will come. The whole reason we switched to life science, I don't know if you know, was originally going to be a commercial office building. And about three, four years ago, we got a lot of interest from life science and pharmaceuticals. And we decided to pull the building off and stop, stop before we were going to start construction. We re-engineered the entire building to be a specific built for life science infrastructure. So we hired BR plus A mechanical engineers, they re-engineered the building. And so we did take off when we started and are building now a purpose-built building. So um, it's been worth the effort because we're getting a lot of interest, our adjacency to Columbia. Jerome Green, as you know, is two blocks away from here. So the Tasty building, it's a la- it was going to be an office building, but it's now totally focused on life sciences. It's 350,000 square feet. That's right. And it's both. So the infrastructure will allow on any floor to be either an office, a school, a life science, a pharmaceutical. It's a very interesting hybrid where we can do on each floor any use, but it meant having to make the investment upfront for the infrastructure to allow life science. Otherwise, we could never retrofit it. It's just too complicated. What's the leasing been like? How full is it? What have you got in there at the moment? So right now, we're still out in leasing and we have gotten interest from smaller users, which we have many options within the Manhattanville factory district to accommodate them. Our goal will be to kick off with a much larger initial user before we sign up around them. So we've had some really good interest and tours have started again post-COVID, not that we're post yet, but we have reopened and I would love for you to come take a tour when you have a chance. Uh, but we have had some, and, and, the, and the response has been terrific of the folks who have seen the building where we've only talked about it and seen renderings. Now they can actually see how the building is engineered and built and is beautifully designed. I mean, the floors are, are vast and really open and inviting. So it's been really nice to see potential users and you know, everyone's going through their process a little slower now during the pandemic to figure out when they're gonna get ready to start leasing again. But we are um, seeing a lot of interest now. You're seeing interest, people are interested, people wanna see it, but it is currently not leased out. No, we are still, no, we're still open, yes. Is that a concern? I mean, were you expecting to be to, to have it more filled by this point? Uh, real estate developers always want to be more filled earlier than they ever can be. And so uh, before the pandemic, we were on the, on the brink of signing up the entire building to somebody. And there were a couple of others that were backups. So all those are on hold, but they're all still interested. And they're saying in March, they're going to start reconsidering and they've got their financing back in place, et cetera. So I'm not concerned. It's the entire city. It's the entire world that's affected in this way. It's nothing specific to us. And we are certain based on where our adjacencies are and what our infrastructure is, that'll be interesting to many users. So 
And, and we're lucky we don't have uh, debt financing on the building. So we have no gun to our head. And we very much want to create an ecosystem where we have the leeway to bring in the right users. And so, yes, wouldn't we have liked to have been fully leased and finished? Of course. And wouldn't the whole city like to be reopened? Yes. Uh, but I'm not worried at all in terms of where we are at this point. Tell me a little bit about the sorts of companies that are looking at the building. Obviously, science is very much on the forefront of everyone's mind right now. Um, and life sciences is really considered to be kind of like the darling of, of real estate and people are very interested in it. Yes. Who is looking at your building? What sorts of companies, what sorts of things do they do? And, and what, are they, what are their scientific offerings? Uh, so let me just think about this and how to not disclose the names because they're still looking. Uh, but there's a um, very large uh, life science researcher that is looking for three floors. Uh, there's uh, large educational institutions with research institutes that are looking for two floors. Um, there was a large educational institution that was interested in the entire building. Uh, so, and then there's, we get, I spoke just yesterday, uh, a woman called me. They, she's running a company that is now in the NIH phase one for diagnostic testing of COVID in a seven minute response on a test. And so, and we know these people because they're associated with Columbia and they're looking for six lab benches and six desks. So by virtue of having from the Mink building to Mall to Tasty, we have different spaces we can accommodate these users. And what we wanna do is we want them here. So when they grow, we have room for them to grow and they become our tenant, not someone else's. And there are a lot of reasons why someone would want, want to be here. And as long as there's space for them to grow, we can always do it. And the district now is, we have maybe, I believe, 600,000 square feet built or about to be finished. We have the capacity to build another 500,000 square feet. So with a 1.1 million square foot district that can build infrastructure for life sciences, that's the reason for folks to come and be able to grow and expand here. Has the pandemic changed the types of businesses that are in the market? The one that you just mentioned then, like we wouldn't have been talking about diagnostic testing for COVID a year ago. I mean, has that um, changed the tenant makeup very much? Are there a lot of different companies that are associated with the pandemic that are looking for space? I think the, the diagnostic testing company in particular were testing for different diseases before. So now they've realized they're going to change what they're focusing on, which virus they're testing for. But they've always been a virus and bacterial testing company. So I think there is an urgency for some companies now to grow faster because of the need. There's, um, for example, there was also a very short-term lease that came to us for somebody that wanted to do uh, testing under a contract for the city. So again, they ended up, they wanted very inexpensive space for one year or two years. So that's not going to be of interest to us to bring someone in and then move them back out again. So we did not accommodate them, but they're, they're ending up in the city and you see those. But I think the more long-term will be, New York is second in the country in NIH grants. Columbia University is the highest producer of graduate degrees in biomedical and bioengineering, biological sciences. So we have, an enormous concentration of life science talent in New York and no available space for that users. So I think once all the companies start reevaluating how they're getting back into the market for space users, that will be 
those will be the people we'll be, we'll be seeing more of now. Take me inside a lease for a life science uh, tenant. Obviously, everything is very uncertain over the past year or so, but there is, a, there is a level of precariousness with science and research as well. So walk me through what it's like versus just a stock standard office tenant. There are, there are two aspects to it that are going to be different. They're going to want shorter uh, terms because they're not sure about their space needs and how they grow. And secondly, their credit is not going to be as uh, sterling or as stable as a running company um, in a commercial user. So those are things that we absolutely take into account in that if we build out or the company builds out a space, we're able to reuse those spaces if a company decides they want to grow and expand and go into a bigger space, that backfilled space can be re-rented. So it's a different kind of underwriting and evaluation of who the tenants are, as if you know a different just corporate client would show up and they've got audited financials and books. Many of them you know, are in series A, B, or C and are trying to go public or are trying to commercialize their inventions so that um, absolutely it's a different evaluation than if it's a, a corporate client. I remember back in 2019, there was, there was a particular company that had taken space with you. They had hopes that their invention would work out and it didn't work out. Yes. So it's the kind of thing that you need to, to deal with, I guess. Quintus Therapeutics was a fantastic company, had done its Series B, and they were waiting for the next level. And for whatever reason, their investors decided after they'd signed their lease and put up a bunch of security, et cetera, that they were not going to move forward. And uh, the city's economic development corporation, as you know, EDC and the state ESDC have put $1.2 billion into life sciences in New York City and New York State. So they gave a grant for a million dollars to Quintus for them to be able to do this company. So there was a lot of belief in them and they did not move forward. We worked it out perfectly well. Michael Aberman, who is their CEO, is a terrific guy who came out of Regeneron and is still a big fan of our district, but they they did not move forward. And so we worked it out with them and that space was re-rented in no time to Velostra Therapeutics, all built out with minor changes. So it is absolutely a function of the market that you have to be nimble, you have to be able to adapt and, um, you know, those things will happen. So do you put it in the lease if, if your invention doesn't work out or, or the, this experiment fails, you can get out of your lease? No, no, it's all worked out. You know, listen, in the worst case scenario, you would litigate that, but we don't, you know, there's no desire to litigate. So you work out what's available on the table and how you can move forward. And there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees for a commercial tenant, right? If they fail, you'd be in the same situation. Uh, so it's an underwriting analysis you have to make up front and find that you can make it work. Hi, this is Katie Dixon, Managing Editor of BizNow. You know, the pandemic has been hard on all of us, but through it all, we have found ways to persevere, survive, and make the best of a terrible situation. They say to never let a crisis go to waste. And across the commercial real estate industry, the pandemic hasn't just been a setback. It's been an opportunity. And our newsroom wants to highlight those individuals and companies who have pushed the industry forward in some way during this difficult time. Of course, innovation can take many forms. Is your company using new methods of financing or design? 
Are you at the forefront of driving diversity or pay equity in commercial real estate? Did your company see growth while competitors struggled? If you know someone like this, submit the person or company's name and how they drove change to my email at katie at biznow.com. That's C-A-T-I-E at B as in boy, I-S-N-O-W dot com. For someone who hasn't been into a lab since high school, what's it like building a lab? So the labs are all very different depending on the kind of research that's being done. There are what are called wet labs and dry labs, and all of them have components of office and lab support, which is refrigeration, etc., for the samples and specimens. So the basic part that we have to get is make sure the infrastructure of the building itself is, allows for life science labs of any sort. So number one, the HVAC systems have to be completely different to allow 100% air exchanges, which means a much bigger and stronger ventilation system uh, for the buildings. Secondly, they require much higher electric capacity to support refrigeration and other equipment. So we went from six watts a square foot to 12 watts a square foot. You have to build in all the vertical penetrations so that you don't disturb anybody later if you have to go through. So what do I mean by that? Acid waste disposal. We built a whole acid waste disposal system in Tasty that goes to this amazing tank in the basement and all the vertical penetrations are in because otherwise I would tell my tenant on the sixth floor, oh, somebody's moving in on seven, they need acid waste disposal and we're gonna go through your floor. So we have fully built in all these things. So now this can accommodate all the different kinds of users and we have all the, the wet taps in different areas where the lab benches would be. We had our architects lay out full different kinds of layouts of lab benches either spread out with offices, you know, clustering and collaboration areas in between, or maximizing as many lab benches as you could get in. And either way, we set up the, the column grids to be as efficient as possible, regardless of how a user will want to set up their, their space. So it's adaptable because there are different users, whether between chemistry and biology, fume hoods are needed in many cases. So all the duct work is in so they can build in fume hoods. Some of them are now all computerized. They are just analyzing with super high speed uh, all the results of the biological um, analyses that are done elsewhere or done in a very small part of their lab. And then it's all computation that they're trying to figure out. So. It's, it's fascinating. I would love to walk you through some of the labs because they're really beautiful also, they're elegant, and they allow for a lot of different kinds of research. Has that become a big thing, making them beautiful as well? Because I think movies and TV, are imagining labs like tucked away in a basement somewhere, but now I guess it's more competitive. You want them to be you know, fresh Absolutely. and nice and people want to be there. Yeah, and so, I mean, we ended up trying to do floor-to-ceiling glass in Tasty, again, to have people are working in there and people are there all day long on their feet uh, doing experiments and so it is meant to be a beautiful space and if the, and a lot of it is collaboration and it's that they have done an experiment and they're sitting and talking with their colleagues and creating spaces that are inviting so that's really a, a big part of it it's not it's not in a basement do you ever think wow if we just kept this as an office building we wouldn't have had to build acid waste disposal no, 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 you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a fascinating process to have all these experts working on this building 
and really understanding what has to be in a building. And so, again, it was an investment we wanted to make to have the maximum uh, desirability to potential users. And so, and because of the adjacencies to City College, Structural Biology Center, Columbia University, it made sense for us. So, no, I don't regret any of that. And I really hope we're gonna to get to use all my acid waste disposal systems, yes. There's been a lot of um, venture capital funding coming into to life science companies in the city. I think like nearly 600 million in the first half of 2020, which is an extraordinary jump compared to yeah. previous years. Obviously also National Institute of Health funding over a billion in the first half of 2020 as well. That's gonna have an impact people are expecting. So walk me through what, what the real estate response is right now and maybe what it should be. So, as you know, the mayor and the governor announced their life science uh, initiatives. And so they're making grants and benefits available to users, not so much to landlords, but to the users, which is what it should be. Um, but the landlords have to create the infrastructure that's available. So I believe we are the only new construction, purpose-built life science building going up in New York City right now. There are lots of retrofits. There are lots of taking older warehouse buildings and then putting in the vertical penetration. And so I think the response has to be a combination. So we have, a retro, we have retrofits here where Velastra, where the Harlem Biospace Incubator is, where Avantis Renal Research is located, all in our buildings. At the same time, the bigger users want new construction that they can lay out lab benches based on their needs. So I think we need a mix of all that. And I think the reality is New York is not Boston, Cambridge, Alston, where they purpose built all around MIT and Harvard, all those facilities. New York is developing organically. And so organically it's developing around NYU and really around Columbia and Columbia University Medical Center. So there will be clusters in New York. And so the, the real estate response has to be where there are adjacencies to partnerships on research with academic developments. That's where the real estate folks ought to be developing it. And that's where we're getting interest is people who have these partnerships with either CUMC or Columbia or City College. We've had tenants here at a City College's Energy Institute. Uh, so that's what leverages. When people are trying to commercialize inventions because of the, the talent, the brain power in New York City, that's what you want to leverage. So you want to be close to the big universities, close to the, I guess, the, the brain capital, the ideas where the smart people are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are the guys and gals inventing everything. How hard is it to retrofit? Because that is something that has come up. When people are looking at all this office space, thinking maybe offices aren't going to be as in demand as they have been in the past. Maybe a retrofit might be involved, might be on the table. Is it challenging? I mean, it's, it must be hard to go from office to, to lab. Yes. I mean, it really depends on what your existing building is. The first part that you can't fix if you don't have it is you have to have large floor-to-floor floor uh, heights. You have to be able to accommodate large equipment coming in and the duct work for the 100% air exchanges are big. And so you want them to be up high and still have ceiling space for people to work. So we built Tasty with a minimum of 14 foot floor to floors. So to retrofit a building, you're not gonna take a 12 foot building and actually be able to make it work for life sciences. But let's say you have an old warehouse that has high ceilings. You want large column spacing. You wanna be able to have people set up efficient layouts 
you want to be able to have all the vertical penetrations put in. So that's why when we pulled it, we learned, it's like, oh, yes, we can do life science. And we realized, no, 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 no. It really is something that has to be completely engineered as part of the building. So if, in fact, you find an old building that can do that, you have to go through this engineering process, put in the systems, and absolutely. So we've done that both at Suites and at the Mink Building. And so not always so easy, it's expensive, but again, um, it addresses a need that will fit in this ecosystem that we're developing. What do you think, um, I mean, do you think the supply and demand economics match up for more buildings in the city to be converted for more development of life sciences? I mean, considering you're trying to lease a building right now, you're probably not overly keen that there's a huge amount of new space coming onto the market. Um, uh, I'm not going to worry about my competitors. Uh, I'm going to either be able to convince folks that this is the right place to be because of the transportation amenities and, you know, the other part of it is that we're in Harlem. So it's not just life sciences. We're in a neighborhood with culture and arts. Our, our tenant downstairs is Studio Museum in Harlem. Um, we have this whole other reasons why people want to be there. So it can't just be a warehouse building out in the middle of nowhere that is then going to be converted because it's a good infrastructure. It has to, it has to fit. It has to be attractive uh, in terms of culture. So that's the other part of it. So I'm not really worried about the other developments. I think everyone's going to have to have their own reason for going to a place um, to attract those users. Do you think there is um, room for more? I mean, one of the figures I read is by 2023, there could be 3.3 million square feet of life sciences in the city, which would be quite a significant increase to what there is now. There's like a million now. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, do you think that matches up with supply and demand? Yeah, so I don't know if you know our broker, Steve Perper out of CBRE, who is actually our life science expert in all this. He's about as bullish as he gets because he built from zero to 22 million the life science market in Boston and, and Cambridge. So I'm, I'm believing him because he's in touch with all these folks that right now, they're a bunch of folks that are on hold, you know, pending COVID, trying to figure out what their needs are, but they're all coming into the market. They all want to expand here based on the talent. And we've talked to some directly that want to come here as well. So it's, it's a function of just letting the pandemic pass enough that people will determine what the real demand is. You know, the demand now is suspended in all asset categories while people figure out what they're doing. So um, I'm perfectly fine letting this pass and then pushing in the market for that demand that we know is out there. Yeah, it's interesting because it fits into that conversation that everyone's been having is everyone, is, are people going to want to live in New York anymore? It's not overly attractive living here right now. Um, but I guess from a life sciences perspective, the universities are here, the big hospitals are here, and they're not going to move. They can't move. No, so, and you, the, the universities can't move, the hospitals can't move, and the research can't really be done outside of a lab. I mean, maybe you could outsource it to the Philippines um, and then get the results back, but I think the scientists want to see their own experiments and their own labs to... to to control what's being done. So I don't think that's gonna go remote. And so whatever's going on now temporarily, I still believe, and you know, I'm a lifelong New Yorker, maybe the accent gave it away, but um, I still believe that there are a lot of reasons people want to be in a place like New York. Besides the work, it's the culture, it's the reasons, yes. In shutdown with no restaurants other than outdoors in 24 degrees, it's not so pleasant, but you know, it will all evolve again.
And I guess, I mean, the big attraction for life science is you can't do it from a laptop in your apartment. That's correct. <laughs> Which a lot of office jobs you can do. How um how much are they paying? I mean, are these lucrative talents? Do they pay a lot of money compared to like office? Well, I mean, part of it is that we're trying to recapture the extra infrastructure. So the rents that we've been talking with tenants about, and it all depends on what level of build out and what level of lab they're talking about. And so um, they can be lucrative. And so it's certainly worth uh, bringing them along. But at the same time, there's a lot of investment on our part. And as you mentioned earlier in this conversation, uh, the risk that if they don't go forward, that you have to reboot yourself and find out you know, how to keep moving with another user. So I think the risk reward matches and it all makes sense. Uh, but part of it really is honestly for us, it is the likely and logical user in our district given our adjacencies that we are really focusing on. Jerry, thanks so much for making time to be on the podcast. No, it's been really wonderful talking with you, Miriam. Thank you so much for taking the time. 